Let's give it up for the band leading us. I hope that today uh, you will indeed turn some graves into gardens. I think that we are wrapping up a series on villains. And last week, if you weren't here, we started Haman. Um, and there's three principal characters that you need to know about. Um, number one, there's a guy named Mordecai. Mordecai was a Jewish captive that had been taken from Israel into Babylonian captivity. And he is now the uncle who has adopted his niece. And um, they, they, he has raised her and now she has been elevated to this position of queen. And so that is, those are the two primary good characters that we're going to need to know about that, that Mordecai thwarted a plan to assassinate King Xerxes. And uh, that's going to come up in this week's story. And then we talked about the guy named Haman, um, and we could call him Haman the hater. And you know why haters are going to hate? Because they're haters, okay? And so Haman last week was so mad at this Mordecai guy because they passed a law that said that they had to bow down and honor him. And when he walked through the city gates, Mordecai was unwilling to bend his knee because his culture, his religion, his God said that you couldn't bow down to another man. And so Haman had worked himself up to where he was like, I am going to try to hatch a plan that is going to destroy every Jewish person. And so I want to say on the beginning of this sermon that we all have some tendencies to fixate on things that are outside of our control. And I want you to watch how that works out for Haman this week. And then you can begin to ask yourself, what are you fixating on? Are you fixating on the big picture of God or are you focusing on little things and little people that are around you in your life that you have no control over, yet how they interact with you determines your happiness. Man, that is such a prison, and today's message will be able to set you free. We last, we last saw Esther was receiving word that Mordecai was telling her, hey, we're in trouble, and I need you to do something about it. And so Mordecai and Esther are having a dialogue through correspondence. And this is where we're going to pick up the story today. It says, when Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, and the words were that if I go before the king and he doesn't extend this royal scepter to me, then I could die. And so these words were reported back to Mordecai. So now he knows Esther is, is trying to figure out, is it worth risking my life over? He sent back this to Esther. Do you do not think that because you are in the king's house that you alone of all the Jews will escape? For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. Very important phrase. He's saying help is coming for us, but you get to decide how you interact. You get to decide if you're going to play a part. Hmm, very interesting. But you and your family's house will perish. So he's saying just because you're behind the king's castle doesn't mean that you're safe. And who knows that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent a reply to Mordecai, go and gather all the people, all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days and three nights, 
I and my attendants will fast as you do. When that is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Woo, woo. Boy, Esther throwing it down. First point I want to make this morning, embrace the push. Embrace the push. That Esther is sitting there and, and all of us and in these critical moments, these crossroads, these junctions of life where, where you know, there's starting to, starting to be some anxiety. There's starting to be some, some evil that's coming toward us. And, and now we have to decide, am I going to take this on or am I going to shrink back? If it's not coming at me, am I going to dodge it? And what, what do I need to do here, God? I don't know if I should say something. We all get in these, these quandaries, these predicaments. And, and here was Esther sitting in the castle after she's gone all the way from slave to queen in the castle. And now she's got all the shiny things and all the nice stuff and life couldn't be going better for her. So why would I mess all of this up? Can't you imagine the humanness of Esther and her decision and her debate? Man, I'd love to say that all of us are just always going to do the right thing because it's the right thing. That all of us just looking for that next challenge, that next hurdle to overcome. All of us are looking for that, that person who challenges our faith and we're just going to rise up and show them how much Jesus we have. But I'd like to say that's most people, but I don't think that's most people. I think that most of us, that we're trying to live out our faith, but when challenges come, we feel uneasy. And here was Esther in this uneasy moment and Mordecai, her uncle slash father figure is going to give her a push. He said, hey, if you think that evil is ever going to stop at us, then, and yet you're safe in there. He goes, make no mistake. Evil is never going to stop. When we think back to World War II, every European country that Hitler invaded thought that this was all he was going to take. And then he would take the next country and then he would take the next country. Then America had to decide, do we want to wait until the Reich comes to America or do we want to fight that war over there so that we don't have to fight it over here? Because it would be a mistake to believe that evil and, and people that are just bent on building an empire and bringing everyone else around them into submission, that evil would have stopped. So we chose to sacrifice ourselves because we said good needed to take a stand against evil before evil grew so big that you could no longer take it on. So here is Mordecai and he gives Esther an incredible lesson. He says, I am going to push you. Now, I want you to think about the annoying trainer at the gym. If you've ever had a coach, a trainer, sometimes it might be your boss. Most of us do not enjoy being pushed. Let's be honest, right? It's like you get to your last rep and they're like that guy, you know, like, come on, you got one more in you. Come on, come on. Come on. I don't have one more. And you're over there crying while they're pushing you. Does anybody say amen if you've ever had that coach in your life, right? That boss is like, you know, I think you could close one more sale. Don't, don't tell me you can't close one. You could close one more sale. We need one more sale. Anyway, push. Most of us resist the push. We don't embrace the push. But the flip side of that is, 
Most of us will never reach our potential without a push. You still have something in there, and unless someone pushes you, it's not going to get brought out. Obviously, Esther was considering, she was pondering whether or not she was going to take a stand or not. And here is Mordecai willing to push her into God's purpose. I want you to know at Genesis Metro, <laughs> make no mistake about it. If you hang out in this church, we're going to push you. We're going to, God told me when he called me that my job is to push people. That God's word naturally pushes us. It pushes me every week to get up here and preach to you. I had to preach it to me before I could ever preach it to you. And God's word pushes you. It pushes you out of your comfort zone. For instance, I don't know how you guys are, but for me, uh, it, getting up on this stage is as natural as like a fish swimming in water. No problem. Don't have any anxiety whatsoever. People are like, how do you do that? If, if you're an anxiety person on the stage, then you know, I can see how this is uncomfortable. But you know what's anxiety for me? It's small talk. It's on Sunday mornings that I'm going to come up here. Come here, Ben. And I, I have five seconds because I say hi to everyone else, but I really like diving into conversation. So Ben's first time, like, hey, how you doing? Thanks for coming to Genesis Metro. Thank you. All right. I appreciate that. Now that seems, that doesn't seem like anything to most people in here, but how many, I bet there's some that'll identify that. Is that anxiety for anyone like talking to a stranger in like a small talk situation? It, it is for me. Yeah. What's going on over here? You, you drop something? Okay. Gosh. That's anxiety for me right there. Thank you. Well done. Anyway, what if I allowed that anxiety and I said, you know what? I'm going to do then what's comfortable for me. And I'm never going to talk with people. I'm never going to say hi to people because that's uncomfortable for me. At some juncture, you have to say, is it about what's comfortable for you or is it about what's best for the kingdom? Because if you were meant to live in isolation, God would save you and then he would transport you to a little cave and then you would just live out your years there until you die. But I assume that since you're still alive and you're still interacting in this lost and dying world, that your, your cause is to interact with God's plan. And in order for you to interact with God's plan, you're going to have to get outside your comfort zone. So don't tell me about your anxiety keeps you from doing something for God or that your stinginess keeps you from giving to God or whatever it is. You've got to press and I'm going to push you because God said that my job is to push people outside of their comfort zone because you've got something incredible. You've got something divine inside of you that God is trying to pull up to the surface. And so God says that we all need a push. And here is Mordecai pushing Esther forward. I hope that when that push comes for you, that you will embrace the push. Here is Esther willing to say, I am going to deny myself. She says, let's fast then for three days and for three nights. Now, let me ask you a question. Um, has anyone in here fasted for three days and three nights? No food, no water. That's an Esther fast. Anybody in here? I know Derek. Okay, we got Kurt. So two people win the Christian award. We have a small trophy at the Welcome Center. We're going to be giving them out every week. I want to say quickly, do not do an Esther fast without medical supervision. Because the whole water thing, you can not eat, but the whole water thing can get you pretty quick if you don't know what you're doing. 
I want you to imagine, though, how hangry you would be, not if I took food away from you for three days. What if I took it away for three hours, right? Some of you would be like, ah, Does anybody like that? Is anybody hangry? Show of hands. I, I get hangry. I do. I do. All of a sudden, everything just bothers me until I eat something. And so um, here is Esther saying that if you're going to do what God's called you to do, you've got to be willing to pay the price. That self-denial is part of Christianity. That there are so many times in the Bible, whenever a big thing was getting ready to go down, they would, they would fast. And what is fast? There's a hunger inside of you. That hunger is your drive to live. And when you deny it, when you suppress it, it actually causes pain inside of your body. And then you're learning to deny what your flesh wants because you're pursuing what God wants. And as a, a template for how we live in the day-to-day -day of our Christian lives. At some juncture, we have to decide we are going to deny ourselves so that we can embrace what God has for us. And so this is the, the struggle that was going on inside of Esther's mind. And she was willing to lay it all on the line in order to pursue after what God wanted for her life. Understand this, that Mordecai also said that if you don't do it, someone else will. Now, here's an interesting thing from a theological point of view. God's will, his general will, is always going to be done. Like a train that is pulling out of the station. Imagine God's will to be done. God's will in creation going to be done. God's will and redemption in Christ going to be done. God's prophetic time clock, general will, when he's going to return, all those things, those are going to be done. Those are without dispute and you cannot stop them from being done. However, how you interact with that train is completely and totally up to you. So you get to either be a passenger on God's purpose train and do a stuff that's incredible with your life. Or you can let the train pull out of the station and someone else is gonna get on and God's gonna get glory out of someone else's life that was willing to be pushed into the purpose that God has to save the entire world. So you decide, you get to decide. The train is pulling out of the station. Are you gonna be a passenger? Are you gonna jump on it? Are you gonna say, God, I'm willing to deny myself because I want what you want for my life. I really encourage you to begin thinking about what are you doing? How are you denying yourself? When is the last time you said no to yourself in order to do something for God? We have disciples that just graduated out of our rooted program. We're going to be doing it again in the spring. Encourage you if you didn't get a chance to do it. But I wonder when, as those disciples rise up, that you have to have a team. If you're a couple, you got to be a team. you got to be on the same team because what if one couple is like, yeah, I'm all in. Let's serve these people. And then what happens when you serve, say, in a life group capacity is that you're going to get a phone call and their life is getting blown up. And now, like, if one of the spouses is kind of, like, selfish, they'll be like, oh, are you really? Like, you've been gone all day and now you're going to go blah, 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 and love people and be like, oh, blah, blah, blah. And, if they're on the same team, they're like, babe, yeah, go. That's why we chose this. Because we wanted to be in Christian community so that we'd had the opportunity to be there for someone in their darkest hour. That's why, we're, that's why we're doing it. Imagine what it'd be like to have a spouse that encourages you to sacrifice for the kingdom. Man, we need so much more of that. So here we find Esther stepping up to the plate 
The next day she goes before the king. The king extends the royal scepter. She's invited into his presence. He's like, what do you want, baby? You look so good, baby. What's you, what, do you, what can I do for you? Up into half the kingdom. Um, you know, whatever, basically saying whatever you want. And she's like, I think we should have a banquet and, um, you know, throw a dinner party, have some wine and bring old Haman in and he could be our guest of honor. And they had a dinner. And at this dinner, I mean, they drank some good wine, all right? Do y'all know the difference between like good wine and bad wine? Like if you ever had like Strawberry Hill, like Boone Farms or something like that, like all my drinkers in here, you know what I'm talking about. Like, like if you ever thought that was wine and I, I got to go to Napa a couple years ago and I had good wine for the first time and I wasn't a wine person, but I was like that. Good wine is good. Y'all know what I'm saying? Like, that's good. And so he goes to the king's house and it says that they had some good wine and a good time. And as he was leaving, we're going to pick up the story. Verse nine, Haman went out and he was happy and in high spirits. Now, I'm assuming it was like, oh, hey, I was doing Anyway, and so that was my drunk Haman. And so Haman went out that day happy and in high spirits. He's living his best life, right? Living his best life. But when he saw Mordecai at the king's gate and observed that he neither rose nor showed fear in his presence, he was filled with rage against Mordecai. Nevertheless, he restrained himself. He got home. He called all of his friends. His wife, Zeresh, Haman boasted to them. He, had a, he threw a giant pity party is what it's going to end up being. You ever, you ever do that? You ever like, you want a friend just to come over so you can whine? Anybody? Like wine over wine. And so anyway, um, it says that he called all of his friends and his sons and he, and he boasted to them about his vast wealth, his many sons and all the ways the king had honored him and how he had elevated him above all the other nobles and officials. And that's not all Haman added. I'm the only person. He like almost pulled his shoulder out of socket, patting himself on the back. He's like, I'm the only one that was invited to the party that she threw. And she invited me along with the king tomorrow. I'm going back tomorrow, what? Verse 13, watch this. Oh, oh, mm. But all this gives me no satisfaction as long as I see that Jew Mordecai sitting at the king's gate. His wife, Zeresh, she's a pill. And all his friends said to him, you know what you should do? Now they're going to gas him up, right? <laughs> you should build a pole 78 feet high, and then you should have him impaled on top of that pole. And dude, Haman is like, yes, that's what we should do. And they built the pole the next day, the next day. They built this pole. So there's a 78 foot tall pole outside of Haman's house and he's got a name on it and that name is Mordecai. Point number two, fixation on the lesser things will cause you to lose in the greater things. Fixation on the lesser things will cause you to lose on the greater things. 
Haman is having the best day of his life. I mean, it couldn't get better for Haman. I mean, he's high-fiving everybody. Boom, 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 boom. And he's walking to the streets. He's like, I just went to the king's house. I just had the best wine, the best food, the best everything. I just, oh, my life couldn't get better than it is right now. And he sees Mordecai standing there. He won't bow down. He doesn't even fear me. You ever been, ever, ever tried to bully you? You just like look them in the eye and they know you're not going to give them that power. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's like a satisfaction in that, isn't there? There's Mordecai just staring him down. I'm not going to bow. I'm going to bow to you. He goes home, cries to his wife. <laughs> Mordecai. Mordecai wouldn't bow down to me. I just wonder how many of us have a fixation issue. That it doesn't matter how good it is, you find something little to fixate on that robs you of all the joy that God has blessed you with. Stretch the illustration out as a metaphor that the king has blessed you, blessed Haman with all this stuff, but he can't enjoy it because he's fixated on something that he can't control. Let me let you know a little secret that you don't have any control over anyone else. And yet I would suggest that many of you have a list a list of people that when you see them, when you interact with them, if you see them at Target, if you see them in the neighborhood after they reported you to the HOA, whatever it may be, I'm just spitballing here, okay? You just see them, it's like if you could get away with it without going to jail, you would punch them in the face as hard as you can. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I know you love Jesus, but I bet that there's times that you don't. And so anyway... Some people have a mental list. And if I said the name, or if your husband says the name, if your wife says the name, as soon as, it, soon as they say it, as soon as you see them on social media, which why don't you have them blocked? Why, why, do, you, why, why do you keep looking? Why do you troll? Why? It's, I don't know. Anyway, as soon as you see them, it's like all the joy that you had just a moment ago is now taken from you because you're fixating. Fixating on the lesser things. It would be sad, wouldn't it, if the king had poured out so much in your life and yet you're missing out on it because you're fixated on the little things. How do we get liberation from fixation? How, that, how, do, we, how do we get free? I think I'm going to give you some perspective change for just a moment. Now, there's a lot of things that I preach in here. I'm going to be honest with you. You don't know because you don't pay attention. All right. You, you forget as soon as you walk out. You will not forget this. You will not forget this. Imagine that if I had a Haman moment and I was like, you know what? I, I just, you know, just for uh, uh, sadistic purposes, I like to inflict pain upon myself. I like to compare myself to other ministries that are out there. And, and I pulled up my YouTube views and I wanted to compare them to other pastors in the United States. And I want to see like how many views they're getting, okay? And so I, I looked up uh, this week, I looked up Stephen Furtick and I, and I was like, oh, oh, 4.7 million views 
on this one video. If we add up 20 years of Genesis Metro videos, <laughs> not quite the 4.7 million. So I went further in my Haman moment. I was like, ah, oh, how about T.D. Jakes? How about T.D. Jakes? This one video, six million. Now for my money, though we might not agree on all theology as no pastors do, this man can preach it like nobody else can preach it. And the church said, amen. We can honor Pastor T.D. right there who took my initials. So T.D. Bourne, T.D. Jakes, pretty much the same guy when you think about it. But 6.1 million. But I thought about for T.D., what, what if he wanted to compare his influence, though? And what if he wanted to play the Haman game? And he was like, well, what about Obama? So I looked up Obama, like his most watched speech. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. 20 Seven million people watched this one video of President Barack Obama. So here I am down here so low, playing the Haman game, fixating on people that I have no control of and then comparing myself. But then I went one step further and I said, what is the most watched YouTube video of all time? Oh! Oh, that's a B, seven billion. Baby shark, do 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 do. Baby shark, do 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 do. Baby shark, listen, listen. You are fixating on the wrong thing. You can't be baby shark. You can't be baby shark. If you're defining your life by views, by clicks, by likes, by hearts, man, think about it for just a moment. If you had all the hate of this world, but you had one heart from God, who are you trying to please? When I preach this message, it's not about how many hearts I get, it's about whether or not I get one heart from God. And if you guys hate the message, but God hearts the message, I can live with that. Imagine the liberation from fixation. It's not about how many listens I get, it's if I get one like from God, I can be okay with all of the rest. Do you think that would be liberating for anyone sitting in this room? That if you've been living for the likes of other people instead of the like of the one who made you, that how much prison, how many prisons that we've built for ourselves, that we could get free from that, that Haman could have been free from that. He could have not worried, he could have walked past the board of God and said, I don't care, I don't care. God has blessed me, I don't care. I'm living my best life. So many of us are focused and fixated on the lesser things. And our marriage, we're like, how many times do I have to tell him that the toilet paper goes like this, not like this? And half of you are just like, she's so wrong on that. It goes like this and not like this. Who cares? Who cares? It's like my wife is always late, some of you. My wife, every time, you get fixated on it. Anybody in here want to confess? You get fixated on it, anybody? Yeah, you get fixated on it. You're like, I tell her to be ready at seven o'clock. She's still in there. It's like, oh babe, I just gotta do a little bit more makeup. And you're sitting over there just like, oh, doing the, every time. How long have you 
you've been married, you don't know how to play the game. You're fixated on it. Fix it. Don't fixate on it. How do you fix the fixation? You back the time up. Tell them we're leaving at 6.30. And then they'll be hustling. I promise you, every time, 6.30, they'll be like, oh, 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 oh sorry, babe. I just got to do the thing. Oh, oh. And then you walk out at 6.45, and they're like, I'm so sorry. I, I know, but I just wanted to be patient with you tonight. I love you. You take as much time as you need. You're so thoughtful. You're so considerate. I know, you know, we all make sacrifices. How do you fix it? Win the game. You can either fixate or you can fix it. Which one do you want to do? You can be happy or you can be miserable. You choose. You choose. Here is Haman. Fixating on the wrong thing. 78 foot tall pole. And then we get to the next chapter. And we'll wrap it up. Woo. Says that night. So Haman goes to his house, has his pity party. That night, the king could not sleep. So he ordered the book of the Chronicles, the record of his reign, which I feel like is kind of self-aggrandizing. Does anybody else feel like that? Like, you know, I'm having a hard time sleeping. Could you bring me the records of the great things I've done and then read them to me? <laughs> Reading is so hard to do on my own. Could you read it to me? <laughs> if you have teenagers, you understand. And so, um, so to, to be brought in and read to him, it was found recorded that uh, there that Mordecai had exposed Big Thana and T-Rex that we talked about last week, the WWE tag team, um, and two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. What honor and recognition has Mordecai received for this? The king asked. Nothing has been done for him. Huh. Huh. The king said, and who is that in the courts? It's amazing timing, right? Like, Esther and Mordecai and all the Jews fasted for three days. Then she was granted favor to come in before the king. They had a party. Haman went home, had a pity party. And then the king couldn't sleep that night. And now he orders the book. And when he reads the book, he sees that Mordecai saved his life. And then just as they're wrapping up the sesh of reading the history and the highlights of King Xerxes, he's like, who is that? Who is that walking in? And they're like, uh, sir, it's Haman. Haman just walked in. He's like, Haman, Haman, come on in here. We were just reading about a guy that I really like and he doesn't tell him the name. And he says, what should I do to honor a person that, that the king has delight in? Who, what would I do? And who did Haman think he was talking about? Anybody, anybody? Himself, himself. He's like, well, king, this is what I would do. I would get a crown put it on his head. I would get the king's horse. I would get this elaborate costume. And then I would throw a parade for that guy and just march him through the street and let all of the kingdom know that that is your favorite. Dude, do you love God? I love God. I love God. He does it better than you could ever do it. Do you hear me in that? Like if you're ever plotting your own revenge, don't do it. Just pray and say, thy will be done. <laughs> Just trust thy will be done. My next point, 
He is working it out. He is working it out. He is working it out. Even though you don't know how, even though you don't know when, you can always know who. Who is on your side? The Bible says, if God is for us, who can be against us? That no weapon that is formed against us shall succeed. So here is Haman thinking he's planning his own parade. And then Xerxes says, I want you to do everything that you said that you wanted to do. And he's like, yes, for Mordecai. Come again. What? You want me to do it for Mordecai? Yes. I want you to do it right now. Can you imagine the walk of shame? He's going out to the stable. <laughs> He's getting the horse. He's getting the crown. He's got a robe over his shoulder. He's walking down to the gate where Mordecai is. And he gets down there, and he's like, Mordecai, get on. Get on. And he grabs the horse. He's going through the town. Behold, Mordecai, the one who the king loves the most, the one that thwarted the plan from Big Thana and T-Rex, the WWE tag team champions of the world, the one who saved the day, the one who is now much better than I. And he goes through and he does this whole parade thing. Man, God is working it out. If you're fixated on the lesser thing, it's robbing you of the greater thing of knowing that God, even though you might not know how, you might not know when, you can trust that if they're coming against you, that God is coming against them if you've, on, if you've got on the train of doing God's will. Then man, you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to sweat what they're doing because God's working out behind the scenes. Very rarely does he tell you how. Very rarely does he tell you when. Whenever he told Moses to lead the people out of Egypt, when they got to the Red Sea, he didn't say, Moses, when I get out there, you're going to hit a roadblock and then I'm going to part this. No, he said, lead my people out. So Moses is out there and he actually gets to the Red Sea. And when they got, what happened? The people are like, what are we doing? What are we doing? And he's like, I don't know how, I don't know when, but I know who, God, what are you going to do about this? And he parts the Red Sea. He didn't tell Abraham how long he was going to have to walk before he was able to have Isaac. He just told him to leave where he was at and then keep walking until I show it to you. So many of us are fixating. We want to know how, how God, how are you going to do it? When are you going to do it? God, I want you to, I want to put it on my calendar and I want to set a reminder. And God's like saying, quit fixating. You don't need to know how. You don't need to know when. All you need to know is who. Jesus knew that we would struggle with this. Jesus gives us a perfect illustration. He dies, right? And there's no greater darkness than death, right? Death, ooh, that's dark. Jesus dies and there's darkness and he is in the process of working it out in the invisible on the other side, just like God made it to where the king couldn't sleep and he gets a book and, and then Haman walks in, just the right time. It's like so many coincidences. At some point it has to be designed 
And while Jesus is working it out on the other side of death, he rises, but he doesn't show himself to everyone at the same time. And there was, there was one disciple in particular. Do you all remember his name that, that began to, we call him Doubting, Doubting Thomas? Doubting Thomas. You know what Thomas said? He said, unless I see it with my own eyes, unless I touch the nail print where they crucified him, I won't believe. Now you gotta love Jesus. It's like, <laughs> this is the way I imagine when we're complaining that God does, all right? This is just, humor me. It says that they were in a room that was walled, right? It wasn't like there was windows or anything. They were in a room that was walled off. And as Thomas is saying this, it says that Jesus appeared. It was like he just came through the wall and showed up. Like, how awesome is that? Like, think about that. You could hear him like grandstanding. I don't care what you guys think you saw. You guys are hallucinating. You're just, your mind is playing tricks on you. I mean, no one can just like get up from the grave. Unless I see it, then I won't believe it. And Jesus is like, Vroom. what did you say? What? I didn't hear you, Thomas. I didn't hear you. Because I thought you said that unless you see it, you won't believe it. Even though I told you that if you destroy the temple, I will raise it up. That the Son of Man came to suffer and to give his life as a ransom for many. I told you this over and over again. So don't act like you're surprised focusing on the lesser things of what you can believe versus the greater thing of what I already promised. And so he said, Thomas, come here, put your hand. Put your hand in my hand. Put your hand in my side where the spear was. And now maybe you can believe. So many of us are sitting there in the dark believing that God isn't working. I'm here to tell you, he's working it out. He's working it out. The things that you've done that you can't imagine God would ever forgive you, he's working it out. Whenever you're struggling, guess who's praying for you? Jesus is. Whenever you've offended God and the enemy comes and says, did you see what they said? Did you see what they did? Do you want to know who your lawyer is? It's Jesus. Every time the enemy accuses you, Jesus says, yeah, I'm working on them. But they belong to me. Gosh. What if we had the faith to believe he was working it out even when we didn't see it? That he's working behind the scenes. That if you say yes to him today, and you get on the train that you can trust he's going to get you to the destination. Let's pray. Father, we ask in the name of Jesus that you would allow us to receive your word. That we would take this seed, that we would plant it on good ground. God, that someone sitting in this room that's fixating, fixating on the small things, and they're robbing, it's robbing them of all the joy they could have. It's robbing them of all the purpose they could be enjoying all because of some person, some status. God, I pray that they would wake up and realize it's only your approval that we need. God, I pray in this service today that you would set people free from fixating. That God gratitude would replace the complaining spirit. That faith 
would replace the excuses that we make for not moving forward and taking up the cause of Christ. God help us to see that Mordecai took a stand, that Esther took a stand, that they were willing to pay the price. And as a result, thousands of years later, we are telling a story of how they interacted with your will for the glory of God. I pray, Lord, that we're raising up the next Mordecai and the next Esther in this room today that are willing to take a stand. God, we ask these things in your name. And the church said, amen. Would you